0: Everybody is ready for the Super Bowl, right? Snacks are bought, and uh, and uh, hope people are coming over. If you're if you're not participating in the Super Bowl, you'll still be okay. I promise. So, uh, my name is Ryan Gray, and I'm one of the elders here at Stonebridge Church. And occasionally, Matt and Joey let me um, have the opportunity to teach. And so this morning, uh, I am excited to share God's Word with you and the truth in it. And I truly believe, you guys, that. Everything in here is for our benefit. God doesn't leave empty words. And everything that's in here for our benefit also leaves us in a place where we have to choose. And that choice is ours. We have to choose to follow or not. And this morning, I think the passage that we're going to continue on in Acts 16 is one that challenged me as I prepared. And and I really felt God saying, hey, this is a message that, that we need to share and so we're going to continue on in the books of Acts, chapter 16. We're going to start in verse 6 this morning. Um, so if you have your Bibles and your apps, you can go ahead and turn to that. But I want to share, uh, before we get into God's Word, I want to share a little bit about my personal life. Because I have a story, more of a testimony, that, that I feel really relates to what Paul is going to teach us this morning. And, um, and, it's, and, it, and it was a, ta- a hard part of my life. You see, when I was at 16, I was part of a high school ministry in my hometown of Story City. We had a great youth group, had a great leader. It was growing. Um, the more and more students were coming to it. And, and things were exciting in this ministry. It was fun to be a part of it. And, and I saw God as I grew into an upperclassman um, leading me into positions of leadership within that youth group. Um, I started leading some of the Bible studies, had the opportunity to lead worship and just being available for for questions from younger guys in the group, even inside of youth group time and outside of youth group time, I, I really felt like God was equipping me to be an effective person within that ministry. And I enjoyed every bit of it. There was a peace that I felt that God had me where he wanted me, and I was doing what God was telling me to do, and it was good. When my senior year approached, you know, the common question started coming up to all seniors. You know, what are your plans after high school? What do you want to go to college for? Essentially, what do you want to be when you grow up? And those were questions that I was prepared for, or so I thought. You see, it was during the years of high school that I felt like God was calling me to ministry, some sort. It it wasn't clear. But I knew that the calling was strong, and it was something that I just kept dealing with in my mind and in my thoughts, in my head. However, I had plans for my future too. And what it boiled down to is is I didn't want to work in ministry because, you might laugh at this, I I didn't want to work in ministry because I didn't want to live a paycheck-to-paycheck kind of life. That was my fear. I wanted to get a degree, have a position of of financial comfort and not have to worry about a lot of things that I might have to worry about if I worked in full-time ministry. As if I could tell God what He should do, right? The following fall, I started at Iowa State University. I didn't declare a major right off, and frankly, it took me a few years to figure out what I wanted to do. But after five years... I graduated with a bachelor's degree in business management and a minor in English written communications. I was ready to join the working world and make a living for my family. And by that time, you guys, I was married and had a baby girl. Still feeling that God was calling me to ministry, I ignored the voice. And I found a job in Des Moines. I worked with a healthcare company that provided. Uh, home health care for elderly and disabled people in the area of town. And I absolutely loved meeting the patients, getting to know them and their needs, hearing some of their stories, learning about their life. I loved meeting the families that loved on them and, and you know, were concerned about them. It was the best part about that job. But I also found out that I hated desk work. I hated paperwork, and that was a big part of that job, too. That responsibility of caring for people required me to spend a lot of time at the desk, and I I just didn't like it. In this job, I managed the scheduling department. I had three scheduling secretaries. I had 120 certified nurses aides, or CNAs, and around 50 registered nurses that I managed their schedules to meet our patients' needs on a daily basis. The job was exhausting. And it didn't take me long to realize that I didn't really like it as much as I thought I would. Parts of it I enjoyed, but the rest I just absolutely disgusted. Still, while all this was going on, God was still calling to me. The thought never left. I was involved in a church in Ames, and my wife and I were involved in a a connection group, a Bible study. We even led connection groups. I served on the worship team regularly. I was a part of their drama team. I'm doing all the dramas and skits that came up. And in my mind, I thought, well, this is God's call for me. I was involved in ministry. But truly, it was halfway. So when a person becomes stubborn to God's calling for their life, sometimes God will do what he wants to do whether you're on board with it or not. This job that I had became so stressful and I despised going to work. I remember feeling sick in the morning as I prepared to drive to work. The tasks became frustrating. The silly issues that always came up became much bigger. And the culture of the people that I worked with were very cutthroat. And they didn't care about me or they didn't care about the friends that they were working with. Long story short, all that led to me being fired, let go. I had no job. I had no income. But I had a wife and two little girls to support by this time. I had never felt so low in life worthless, dumb, untrustable, unstable. All these lies began to come to me and I believed this about myself. I had let my family down, or so I thought, and I fell into this funk that began to affect my life in more ways than one. Things were going downhill very fast and I, you guys, I didn't know how to stop it. At this time, a very dear friend, somebody I knew and trusted, contacted me. He knew of the situation that I was going through. He had been praying for me and he was more than willing to help in any way that he could. And I remember him calling me one day and he said, Hey, Ryan, he said, I, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of this camp called Hidden Acres. I just chuckled. I said, Man, yeah, I know Hidden Acres. I, I grew up coming to Hidden Acres. I worked there as a summer staffer in high school and college. I know hidden acres. And he said, well, I heard that one of their staff members is leaving. He's becoming a pastor at a church. And he said, I'm not sure if they're filling that position again, but you might want to give them a call. So heeding his advice, I actually called the executive director that I had known for most of my life. And I asked about the possibility possibility of needing another staff member. I now have worked in full-time ministry for almost 14 years. God certainly did what He wanted to do in my life. And the only thing I can say right now is that I wish I would have heeded His calling much earlier. There would have been a lot less bumps and bruises, a lot less pain. But I also think maybe I had to go through that. Regardless, I love what I do, and I truly feel like it's a perfect match for me. Not everything is perfect. There are still hard times and easy times in the job, but I love what I do, and I love the people I work with, and I love the the opportunities that God gives me. And in Acts 16, we see Paul that he's starting a second missionary journey to the local region's and he's accompanied by two friends, Paul, excuse me, Silas and Timothy. At the beginning of this missionary journey, Paul is revisiting some of the churches that he's begun and, and started on his first journey the churches in Derby and, and Lystra and Antioch. But his intentions are to spread the gospel. And that gives him courage to venture into new cities that the Gentiles or, or the non Jewish people are in. And his job. What God has told Paul to do is share the story of Jesus Christ with these people. So if you have your Bibles, I want to read this story. And, and I know I've said this before if you've heard me preach, but um, this is a storybook, you guys. And, and whenever I read God's word, I place myself in that situation. I want to, I want to see and feel the full effect of what God is sharing here. And if you want incredible stories, read the Bible. And this is an incredible story. So chapter 16, verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia in Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now that seems strange, but we're going to come back to that. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them again God's saying twice, don't go there. Don't share the word there. Which seems kind of strange. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. There was a need. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately... We sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to him. Isn't it, cool, isn't it cool that Paul doesn't question? He just goes. So, setting sail from Choaz, we made a direct voyage from Samothrace and on the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which was the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. Now, that trip, you guys, from where Paul. Um, starts his second missionary journey and then lands in this town, gets this vision and decides to set sail. That was about 250 plus mile journey without sharing the name of Jesus. My guess is Paul's going, what am I doing here? God, what are you doing here? You You were supposed to let me do this and I'm not sharing anything. I've walked 250 plus miles and sailed some of that and I haven't had the chance yet. But the chance is coming, you guys. Verse 13, And on the Sabbath day, we went out to the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the town of Thyteria, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. They decided to stay with her. Verse 16, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she kept doing this for days. Now, that seems like a strange but a good thing. But again, hold on, we're going to get back to that. She kept doing this for days, and Paul, having become greatly annoyed, I love that, that word, turned and said to the spirit within this girl, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that the hope of their gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them, not walked them, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in, attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Verse 25, but about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that all the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized as once, he and all of his family. Then he brought them up to his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let the men go. And the jailer reported words to Paul saying, these magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come now and go out in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly. Uncondemned. Men who are Roman citizens. And they have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that these men were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out from the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. What a great story. And I believe that this passage is is teaching us and challenging us with two very important topics that I feel are valuable for all of us to realize and put into action in our lives. First, and this has kind of already been the pattern of Acts up until this point. You see, God is choosing unlikely situations and unlikely people to spread the news of Jesus Christ. Let's look at a few of the unlikely people here in this passage. First, beginning in verse 13, we see Lydia. You know, Paul and Silas were seeking a place of prayer for Sabbath. And they sat down and the scripture says that they spoke To the women that had come together. Now you got to realize that at this time in the Jewish culture, men would never engage in conversation with women. There are some strict rules that prohibited that for good reasons, but Paul, on the stirring of the Holy Spirit, continues to do the unlikely. And he finds that this group of women are there and they're willing to listen. And in that group of women, he finds a Gentile, assuming. Lydia is a Gentile that knows about God and believes in him. She has probably a successful business. We know that because when you're dying purple, you're doing that for royalty. There are very few people that had that job. And she she owns a house and has a household of people. And she receives the message of Jesus Christ. They share this gospel story, and she's baptized along with her whole household. God uses Paul in an unlikely situation to change an unlikely person with the sake of the gospel, with the message of the gospel. And you can bet that Lydia didn't stop there. It seems that very shortly after this encounter, Paul encounters this slave girl who was possessed by a demon. And her job in her slavery slavery was a fortune teller. She made a lot of money for her owners. And as Paul and Silas walk, we see that the scripture tells us that this girl, or actually the demon inside of her, continues to, to mock the apostles by proclaiming the truth of who they are. You see that this demon says, these guys serve the one God, the Most High God. And we can look at that and say, well, that's kind of a good thing. You know, Scripture tells us that even the demons know who God is and shudder. And this demon was saying that out loud. But here's the situation, you guys. Here's why Paul got so frustrated. The Roman culture at that time was a polytheistic culture. They didn't believe in one God. They believed it was right to believe in many gods. And so when you have this this person yelling behind them, these guys believe in one God. They're here to tell you about one God. The crowd around does not receive that very well. And I think Paul is realizing it's getting harder and harder to proclaim the name of Jesus. So Paul knows the power of God and he turns and he casts that demon out. Scripture doesn't tell us what happens to that girl. We don't know if she became a believer or not. But this encounter leads Paul to be accused by the slave girl's owner for disturbing the peace, which isn't really a valid valid charge. And by the prodding of her owners, Paul and Silas are thrown into a jail. And they're in a position, an unlikely position, where again we're going to see God show up in a big way. In verse 25, we, we see Paul and Silas, after they were dragged through the marketplace, accused of being Jews, which nobody knew, they were actually Roman citizens too. They were beaten by rods, chained to a wall in the innermost cell, which is probably the, the, the where you keep the dangerous of the dangerous people. But even through all that, Scripture says they were singing hymns and praying. I'm not sure if that would be my attitude. And the even better part about this is as they were singing hymns and praying, Scripture says the prisoners were listening. The words of God were coming out loud and clear in an unlikely place, and it was affecting unlikely people. And Paul was doing it because God told him to do so. God suddenly shows up and the prison is shaken so violently that the doors are open and the shackles are broken and these inmates, every one of them, Scripture says, are free. And when the prison guard saw this, he had assumed that he had failed at his job and in an act of shame, he's ready to take his own life. And just before it happens, Paul cries out in love, probably to the very man that helped beat him. And Paul shows love and says, wait, don't kill yourself. We're all here. All here. To hear the story of Christ meant more to these men than their freedom. That's incredible. And the jailer, his family, and his entire household believed in Christ Because of the situation, and were saved, another unlikely person saved by the gospel of Jesus. And by these two situations, and the people and the body of believers that started, you can bet that a church began in Philippi, which was a leading city in the district of Macedonia. I know that God strategically did that. That was. His plan, because if this is a leading city, you can bet that people from far and wide are crossing paths here. And God's story is going to impact many more. But this would not have happened had Paul not heeded the leading of the Holy Spirit. The second thing that I think is valuable for us to learn today is really a question. And the question is this for you and I. Are we truly listening to God's will for our lives? Are we being obedient to God's will for our our lives? You can bet that Paul's devotion at, at this time of spreading the gospel, he's giving everything that he's got. He wants people to know that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that He bled and died for our sins. And if we believe that He paid the penalty for our sins, we can be counted as children and rightful heirs and have eternity with Him. You see, Paul is bold, and he wants to go anywhere that he can spread that message. His desire to start this second missionary journey simply shows that Paul is heeding God's command and proclamation. That this story is for the Gentiles and it's to be carried to the ends of the earth. God made that very clear. And Paul takes that very seriously and is willing to endure anything to obey that command. Paul begins his journey by traveling through Syria and Cilicia. He was stopping at churches, encouraging them, teaching them, and moving on to where God would have him go. But in verse 6, like we just read, we see that the Holy Spirit did not allow them to speak the gospel in Asia. And then when Paul and Timothy come to Mysia, they attempted to go into the region of Bithynia, but the Spirit of Ginn, Jesus, Spirit of Jesus told them not to do that either. I found myself when I was reading and preparing for this talk, just questioning why God would do this. Why would He not want people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? From a quick view of this, it leaves a person who is reading this to get a very negative perception and picture of who God is and what he's about. It just doesn't seem that that's the nature of a living God, to say, no, don't take my message there. But you see, God is wise. And God has a plan and a purpose that sometimes we can't see or understand. Peter, later in the New Testament, he, he states that many of these regions were ministered to by believers, Christians, who were scattered among the nations. So you see that, that it wasn't that God didn't want the gospel shared in those nations, it was just not the right time. And it was the thing that, that the thing that he wanted Paul to do was go where he wanted him to go. It wasn't Paul's job to argue with God about the situation. And you see that obviously Paul didn't. It was Paul's job to do what he was told to do. And God's who made it very obvious that this was his plan. So Paul goes to Macedonia. He sees this vision of a man that is in Macedonia and says, Come help me. Come help us. And when Paul had that vision, Scripture says in verse 10 that he immediately left. Paul and Timothy headed to that region, eventually ending up in Philippi and having a true impact on that region. As I shared in my opening personal story, I had a plan for my life. Even when I knew that God was calling me to something, I was bold and frankly dumb enough to tell him that that's not what I want to do for my life. You see, too often we do a good job of talking ourselves out of what God wants us to do. And we even stifle the prompting of the Holy Spirit when we hear it, and we pretend that we're not listening. And we allow our selfish reasons to take over and justify our reasoning for our decisions even though they're directly against what God is asking of us. And then we sit there when things start to crumble apart and we complain that, that God isn't holding His end of the bargain up. Life's not right. The world doesn't revolve around us, guys. I mean, when you think about it, why would God support our reasoning when it's against His will for our life? As if we know what's best for us. As if the Creator of us is out of tune with our lives and doesn't understand how we best fit in life. For me... God allowed me to trudge through some very difficult times and events until I finally surrendered. Like I mentioned, I knew very well that God had made me for ministry. I knew that He had given me a heart and a mind and a will to serve Him. But my sinful ways hindered that and and for very selfish reasons. And I took another path that was not made for me. I pursued the things... I wanted, not trusting the things that God had planned for me. And it led to a dead end, you guys, a very painful dead end. It's not that God is evil. It's that I was wrong. But once I saw that I had chosen what I had chosen, I had no one else to blame but me. I chose I actively chose to do what God had planned for my life. And it wasn't always clear. But I can tell you, the peace that came with that was amazing. And I didn't always see where He was going to lead me, but I trusted that God had my best interest in mind and He was going to use me for what He created me for. Recently, we had a men's retreat out at Hidden Acres. And we hosted a great speaker. His name was Vince Miller. Vince started a ministry years ago called Resolute. And it's a men's ministry that seeks to equip men to be who God has made them to be. At that retreat, Vince shared the the story of David and Goliath. And how complicated uh, of a person David actually was. You see, David... Was not the most holy of men. He didn't do everything right. And if you read the life of David, you'll see that he was very much a sinner, just like you and me. He made poor choices. He went outside of God's will sometimes, and he suffered the consequences. But when David was young, we see how bold he is in God and God's plan for his life. Scripture says that when he was 15, he was a shepherd, he was the youngest of many brothers. And God had already chosen him to be king someday. But there was many years that had to happen. And so one day, David's dad says, Hey, go see your brothers. They're at the battle front. And bring them some food and check on them. And when, when, when David arrived, he realized that something was very wrong. What he saw was God's army paralyzed in fear. And the Philistine army was taunting especially their giant Goliath. And David knowing how powerful God was and how God is with him went to King Saul and said, "Look, if if the whole army won't fight, I will." And Saul kind of talks to him and finally David convinces Saul and Saul sends him out. But I had never read this story and I would encourage you guys to go back. I always I always got it from Sunday school and church events, but I'd never read this story for myself. And like I said, this 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 book is full of great stories. And I read those words along with with Vince, and I realized that this was a very different situation. It wasn't just a shepherd boy sitting there flinging a rock. David went down in boldness to meet the giant, knowing that this army, God's army, who was supposed to be fearless, did not have his back. And that was okay with him, because he knew God had his back. And David went down if you read the scriptures you see that David and Goliath taunted each other. Goliath called David a dog and started mocking his stature. And all David did was answered back saying God's going to give you into my hands. He was confident. And in that passage in the uh, in uh, the book of Samuel or 1 Samuel you see These words, David, well, let me step back. David taunted Goliath so much that Goliath finally had had enough and he starts walking towards the battle line. And scripture says that David ran quickly toward Goliath. He didn't stand there and wait for Goliath to come. He ran towards him. And we all know that in that running, he slung a stone that hit the giant square in the head. And you guys, that that stone killed the giant so quick that he didn't even have time to turn on his back as he fell. You see the scripture that said the giant fell on his face. David understood God's plan. David understood what he could accomplish when God is in charge. Paul had the same confidence. The confidence to proclaim the gospel. He went where God told him to go. He talked to whomever God told him to talk to. And he endured whatever God would have him endure because he knew that following him wherever he may go, God was there. The plan, the battle, whatever you want to call it, is God's. The plan for your life is God's. So where will you go if he sends you? Will you talk to whom he asks you to talk to? Will you share his gospel with whom he asks you to share with? Will you endure the pain that might come with that? I think the scripture is clear on what we're supposed to do. It's not a choice. But you have a decision to make. Let's pray.